Most organizations are still doing nothing. They still think that beanbags in meeting rooms and fruit bowls next to the coffee machine are enough for well-being, and they don't have anything proactive to support and prevent imposter syndrome. So what we've actually found since the pandemic is the number of people struggling with it daily or regularly to an extent that's impacting their well-being and their work has risen by a fifth. So it's now 62% experience that daily or regularly. That's shocking. Hey, gorgeous. How are you doing? It's Sarah here, host of the Startive podcast, and I'm very pleased to welcome you back. So today's episode is the first of my interview episodes, and I'm super excited to be introducing to you today, Claire Yosa. Now, Claire is, she's a global authority on imposter syndrome. She has conducted extensive research. She's got some new papers coming out soon. And this is an area where I think it's super, super important for us to pay attention to, to do some work around it and really notice how our own versions of imposter syndrome affect us and the ripple effects. So this episode is really important because whether it's in your personal life or in your professional life, I mean, just Google imposter syndrome and you will find people that you'll be stunned who talk about the fact that they feel sometimes that they're a fake or they're going to be found out. And these are people who are at the top of their game. It is rife. And I think also since the pandemic, when so many things changed for all of us as well, imposter syndrome really has sort of come to the forefront and is very much something that needs to be discussed. So I'm delighted to welcome Claire back. She has written something like 10 books, been working in this field for about 20 years. She's going to share a little bit of her start over. She made a very big dramatic change into this particular line of work. So there's great interest there and some lovely nuggets. But also she is sharing some of her valuable insights into imposter syndrome in terms of what it is, how we can overcome it. And there's some really, really great discussion in here. So without further ado, let's dive into the episode and I will see you on the other side of the interview. Claire, welcome. It's so great to have you on the other side of my microphone again. I'm so excited to have you here. I am so thrilled. Thank you so much for inviting me. You're most welcome. Now, imposter syndrome, Mm -hmm. a massive, massive subject. What I would love for you to start with is just by introducing yourself and, you know, tell us who you are and what you do. Okay, so my original incarnation was as a master's degree qualified mechanical engineer specializing in Six Sigma and diesel engine manufacture. And then I took a very wiggly path. So when we're looking at start over, I did that repeatedly. Okay, we can talk later about how I gave up the career I loved due to imposter syndrome for a big start over. I ended up as head of market research at one of the world's most disruptive brands. And then back in 2003, I'd qualified as an NLP trainer and all sorts of other stuff. And I jumped into the world of running my own business, leadership development. And that's where I first discovered there was a word called imposter syndrome that described what I had felt, what every single one of my managing director clients were feeling. And despite my toolkit, 
I didn't have answers and I couldn't find anybody who did. That set me off on a bit of a mission. And over the last 20 years, I've helped tens of thousands of people. I now train and certify people to master coach level in this work. My 10th book comes out in May this year. And I look back, I've only been able to make the difference I get to make now because of imposter syndrome that I had and because I had to repeatedly start over with each of those what felt like crises at the time. They were actually what gave birth to the new version of me, though I still wouldn't want to repeat them, yeah? Mm, yeah, I, I love that because that is exactly why, Claire, that is exactly why I wanted you as one of my first guests to come on here because those key things that you just said there, like I had to start over, I had to start over again. What drove you then to really go deep rather than just keep it as a personal thing, you know, to yourself that you discovered? So when I left engineering, I did what a lot of people do, which is I officially asked for a sabbatical. So I didn't quit my job. I didn't get promoted to somewhere else. I went traveling and I gave myself the excuse of I want to see New Zealand. I want to spend time in South America. I could study Spanish while I'm there. So my logical brain was thinking these are all very good solid left brain reasons to take a year out but my heart was like if I don't leave right now I don't know where I'm gonna end up imposter syndrome was crippling me I didn't even know it was a thing I thought I was the only person on the planet that felt that way like I was somehow specially broken you know if there had been a single coach or person in my organization that could have talked to me about it I'd have stayed mm. I'd have found solutions with them yeah yeah and it was such a big thing for me, giving up a career that I adored. I still walk into factories now occasionally. I get that smell and it just takes me straight back. It was my happy place making things. But I realized over time that actually what motivated me was not making things. It was helping make people happy. My nickname in the factory was Smiler. I was one of just two females on an engineering staff of 200 um, I had it as my mission each day was I walked from the engineering offices through the shop floor, as we called it, to the coffee place. I would have a competition with myself on how many people could I take from looking really glum to smiling, really lifting their mood just by being nice, by being kind, by being interested. And I realized that's what actually gave me the high was helping people to shift and change. When I moved into market research, that's what I did after going traveling, my imposter syndrome had gone. I should have had it massively because on paper, I was not qualified for that job. I'd done a lot of guerrilla market research, but I didn't have qualifications. It had disappeared. But that's where I really started studying psychology. I studied to become an NLP trainer. And I realized I wanted to make a difference in people's lives through more than just shiny bits of plastic, which is what we were making. And... Why I specialize in imposter syndrome was because I've always been somebody who loves a challenge, okay? <laughs> you give me the easy route and I'm like, eh. you give me the hard route and I'm like, right, charging up that mountain. You know, it's exhausting. It's not what I'm suggesting everyone should do. Mm -hmm. I could have taken the easy route. It was back 20 something years ago when coaching was in its infancy. I could have owned whatever category I wanted to because we were still the early adopters. Mm -hmm. But actually what I wanted to understand was why all these clients kept coming to me with the same problem, but just if different actors, and I didn't know how to help them. All I could give them was coping strategies, sticking plasters and band-aids, workarounds, 
And none of that felt right because I'd been a Six Sigma engineer. I was passionate about getting to the root cause of a problem because when you clear that, all the surface level symptoms disappear. And I was like, I've got to be able to do it on this thing. There's got to be a way. And I just made it my mission to find out how to help people to truly set themselves free from what I soon realized was called imposter syndrome so that they no longer needed the coping strategies and they could just become who they really are and have the impact that their ideas and dreams deserve. And there we'll leave the episode there. Isn't that just where we all, <laughs> isn't that where we all just want to be? That's fantastic. So let me take you back a little bit. How would you define imposter syndrome? So it is the secret fear of being found out as not good enough despite external world evidence that you are. And the key is that secret fear. That is what makes it really imposter syndrome is that worrying about being found out. When I'm working with clients or doing a keynote, I'll often describe it though as being the secret fear of others judging us the way we judge ourselves because it's all about judging. And so part of the process for clearing it out once and for all is to get rid of the baggage that means we judge ourselves. Yeah, there's a difference between evaluating performance and judging. It's kind of the whole, therefore I'm a bad person, yeah? So it's the secret fear of others judging us the way we judge ourselves and that fear that we'll be found out as a fraud or not good enough, even though the rest of the world thinks we've got our act together. Mm. I seem to remember on our, you brought that up and on our last episode which was some years ago now when I first interviewed you that was a bit of a drop mic moment <laughs> and I have carried that forward I have to say because you know when we are looking at our own triggers when we're looking at our own you know with things that make us angry or you know things that make us withdraw mm. it's so true isn't it it's when we're in a place where we feel judged but we are our own worst mm judges so to speak that's when it really hurts isn't it that's when it really exactly exactly and then you get that worrying what if and catastrophizing at three in the morning Mm. well what if they judge me so they're not even judging you it's stories we're telling ourselves so I call it mind story drama about the worry that people might judge us and that's what makes us self-sabotage so it's not actually people sitting out there x-factor style kind of giving us numbers and judging our performance it's our worry about maybe judgments and so it's the stories we're telling ourselves that are causing the pain. Mm. So what are the kind of things we can all look out for to help us highlight that, oh, hang on a minute, this is imposter syndrome? So this, it's great to look at your self-talk. So if you're saying things like, who am I to do that? Yeah, that's usually a good clue because who am I? That's down at the identity level. That's where imposter syndrome hangs out. It's not up the top at a mindset surface level issue. It's about that sense of self. Who am I? Who am I to do that? I can't do that because. And the because is something that's not rational or logical. You can also look at your four P's of imposter syndrome. This is something that came from my research study five years ago, back in 2019. So you can look for changes in your levels of perfection, procrastination, project paralysis, and people-pleasing. If you suddenly see that you're changing those, they're getting worse, that could mean that there's something you're using those as a coping strategy for to avoid something that imposter syndrome is triggering. And the other thing that can be really, really useful is if you're going to do something, say share an idea in a meeting, it's something I call the flinch factor is where you go to breathe in and your body contracts like a hedgehog. 
Yeah, you just feel that kind of like, oh, and it's quite subtle, but it's really important to tune into this because your body, the way the brain and the, the whole autonomic nervous system is wired together, your body knows before your thinking brain does that you're about to self-sabotage. So watching for that flinch can be a really useful warning sign as well. I know that flinch very well. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to say, you know, it used to, it, it used to be something that worried me. Now I see it as like, oh, there's something here that I need to address or I need to dive into. You mentioned the four P's there. In your research, because oh. I know you've got some more research coming out very soon, haven't you? Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Mm, definitely. So we're publishing the 2024 imposter syndrome research study very soon. And five years on, I'd love to say it's a happier, rosier picture, but actually it's all got worse. <laughs> because most organizations are still doing nothing. They still think that beanbags in meeting rooms and fruit bowls next to the coffee machine are enough for well-being. And they don't have anything proactive to support and prevent imposter syndrome. So what we've actually found since the pandemic is the number of people struggling with it daily or regularly to an extent that's impacting their well-being and their work has risen by a fifth. So it's now 62% experience that daily or regularly. That's shocking. That's yeah, incredible, that's really isn't it? You look around you and there is mm. nobody doing anything here, yeah? They're all still sat there like I was back in 2000 on the shop floor thinking I'm the only person in the world that feels this way, mm. yeah? So that's one of the big findings. We also found in 2022, we did a load of research that we're going to be publishing an update to soon, that there is a direct link between imposter syndrome and burnout. The two are linked at a causal level. So if you increase imposter syndrome, you increase the risk of burnout. If you decrease imposter syndrome, you decrease the risk of burnout. When you look at those four Ps, it's not surprising. Mm. When you look at the fact you're constantly stuck in the fight, flight, freeze response, looking out for threats with imposter syndrome, it's not surprising you're running on empty and exhausted and burning out. So this really is what we need to be looking for. So if anyone listening to or watching this is thinking, do you know, what? I'm on my knees that's the phrase to listen for in your self-talk. I'm on my knees or your equivalent of it. That means you're heading fast towards burnout and it's highly likely that imposter syndrome is playing a role. Mm -hmm. If you deal with the imposter syndrome, you don't need to burn out anymore. Where does it kind of start? You know, does it start in our personal lives? It's very easy to have imposter syndrome in many ways or to identify it if you're in a working environment, some scenario like that. But because it's so deep rooted. Yeah. yeah. Where do you think it starts? <laughs> so firstly, it's context dependent. So somebody can have a raging dose of imposter syndrome in the context of work, but not the supermarket when they're doing the shopping. Mm. So a lot of us are like, oh, I have imposter syndrome. But actually, we don't. In this particular scenario, we run a set of thought habits and body habits that lead us to self-sabotage. And there are contexts in our lives where we don't have it. To give you another example, a lot of people assume it's just about work, but actually many people have it about parenthood. Yeah. Who am I to be a good mother, particularly if we didn't have good role models in our past or if our role models in our past were too good? Yeah. Is aiming for that perfectionism. So this is quite an important way of looking at it. It's context dependent and it can be context dependent to the point that you are absolutely fine, for example, at work, unless let's call them Fred walks in the room. 
So you only have imposter syndrome in the context of Fred. Mm. So this is really, this helps us to decode where it's come from. Now, one of the things when I'm training and certifying my coaches and master coaches, I teach them that it's not usually very helpful to look for the root cause trigger, unless it's a trauma that somebody needs to resolve, in which case they'll probably already know what it is. Because if you asked me why it took me till I was 45 to write my first novel, even though I dreamed of writing novels since I was 15, I would say, oh, that was my English teacher when I was 15. She gave me a B and told me my brilliant essay was contrived. And that taught me I can't write a story. That's not where it came from, because unless I'd had that button ready to push, her B and contrived wouldn't have had any effect. Mm. So it had clearly come from somewhere else. So there are personality types that are more predisposed to it. But actually, we've found about 89% of the population experiences it at some level at some point. So it's only 11% that seem to be completely clear of it, uh, you know, without having worked with one of my coaches, obviously. And when we realize that, we realize how normal it can be. A very common theme when I work, particularly with women in leadership roles, it's a common trigger for them to ask for help is they've just been promoted into a new role or they've had the tap on the shoulder and suddenly their old coping strategies for imposter syndrome aren't enough. It's often actually a toxic box, a toxic workplace, and it can be from 10 years before. Mm. So the coping strategies they had to bring in to stay safe in that environment have actually caused them complex PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. I'm not pretending to diagnose them, but you can see the signs and there are things that you can do without having to go and see a psychiatrist. So there's often a history of trauma. That is something we found makes imposter syndrome more likely to be worse because you've already got your amygdala, the primal part of the brain, the vagus nerve, the whole autonomic nervous system primed to look for threats to keep you safe. Mm. And your trigger point is a much lighter trigger than somebody who hasn't had that previous experience of complex trauma. So complex PTSD is where it's not one big traumatic event, it's lots of dripped events, yeah? So that can be bully boss, it can be domestic abuse, it can be a, a low-functioning parent, shall we say, but that tends to mean that somebody is more likely to be triggered by things that will then give them the output of imposter syndrome. Mm. So I love this. I absolutely love it because it's it feeds into my, we have to go detective on ourselves, don't we? You know, once we've sort of identified that there's something here, it's like, okay, where do I start? And two that you've mentioned so far, it's, it's sort of that that feeling where you, you have a physical reaction to something, there's a clue there that, hang on, what is causing that? And the other one is when Fred walks into the room, as you just, hmm. we'll call him Fred, we'll continue to call him Fred, walks into the room. And it's so true. It's, it's been such a learning for, hmm. for me. And, and I've seen it in my clients as well, that, you know, it's not about the person, is it? It's, it's really not about them. And it's so easy for us to place the blame of how we're feeling sort of at their feet. Uh -huh. When in actual fact, we need to go that little bit further, don't we? And say, hang on, why is Fred affecting me in this particular how, way? How can I be? And, and big apologies to anybody listening called Fred. Freds are lovely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's about becoming immune to Fred but without having to do it through masks and armor. So that's what most people do is they put their armor on, they toughen up, they put on a persona, an alter ego, they channel their inner Beyonce or whoever. Mm. It's about 
getting so that the buttons that Fred can press don't actually exist anymore. Mm. So that it doesn't actually matter what Fred does. You realize it's Fred's stuff, not yours. It says more about Fred than it does about you. And that actually right here, right now, you're safe. Yeah, because I talk about two types of fear, legitimate fear and mind story fear. Legitimate fear is what I used to do in my teens, which is jumping out of airplanes with a glorified tablecloth strapped to my back on a Saturday morning with a hangover. (laughs) My later teens, can I just clarify? My poor mother, I look back and it's like, oh, I used to have to phone her on a Saturday afternoon to let her know I was still alive. That is legitimate fear. You get in that Cessna with no door on it, And I was always the smallest. So to keep the center of gravity of the plane, I was out first. And you know that in a couple of minutes, you're just going to be floating. And Mm. you've got to remember to make sure that the canopy is there and remember how to land so that you can go home with both legs in one piece. Mm. That is legitimate fear. That is the body going, Clay, this is a really stupid thing to do. Mind story fear is the worrying, the what ifing, and the catastrophizing. That is the stuff that, we justify it saying, oh, no, I need to worry because that's how I make sure things don't go wrong. Well, really, you can make sure things don't go wrong just by thinking about what could go wrong and putting actions in place. It's the emotional load that we give to it. That can be looking at the tone in an email and assuming it means we've upset somebody rather than just, do you know what? It's their 300th email today and they've had enough. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> we don't also yeah. know what's going on in their lives you know, they might be having a start over experience, for example. So it's the worrying, the what ifing, the catastrophizing, that mind story fear that can really trigger imposter syndrome. And we've also found from the research studies, there's something we call the three pillars model. So there are three core factors at play that decide whether or not imposter syndrome is out there for you to play with or dormant. Mm-hmm. They are the culture, the environment and your habits. So you can have raging imposter syndrome in one job, move to a different employer, and it disappears, or the opposite way around. And particularly work cultures that are very heavily focused on presenteeism, on comparing each other, ranking each other, this kind of thing, that can really trigger imposter syndrome if it was previously dormant. Environments where you're constantly interrupted with notifications, where you know if you don't respond within three nanoseconds, it'll be escalated to your boss's 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 boss. This can all make imposter syndrome worse. So there are things that employers need to do about the culture and the environment. And there are things that we need to do about dealing with that baggage so that those buttons are no longer there for Fred to press. Mm. It's a great analogy, you know, where you were comparing the two fears using your parachute. I did that once. I only got to do it once because the wind picked up. And then I then I decided that actually I'd done it once and I didn't need to do it again. The whole thing at student hangover, throwing myself out of assessment. You almost described the same the same thing. <laughs> and as I was then listening to what you were saying about, you know, when imposter syndrome kicks in and the filler was there, actually the physical things that happen to us are very, very similar. It's like you don't need to be on the edge of a Cessna yeah. two and a half thousand feet up. You can be in your everyday life, you oh. know, waiting to open an email and feel that level of fear that's triggered by imposter syndrome so what can we do Claire (laughs) it took me a good few years to work out how I had ditched imposter syndrome okay because I went traveling absolutely crippled by it to the extent that I was even on antidepressants yeah I came back from traveling it was completely gone and I'd lost three stone in weight and I was happy 
obviously not everybody's in a position to be able to go traveling in New Zealand or South America for a year. And I figured that to help my clients, I needed to find a way to reverse engineer what I'd done. Then through the process of writing the Ditching Imposter Syndrome book, I had to do what I call making it pajama ready so that what I teach would work and support people, even if they're at home on their own at 10 o'clock at night in their PJs in bed going, I have about three brain cells still functioning at the moment and I want to read a bit of the book. Yeah, it took an enormous amount of testing yeah, and experimenting to get a process that would be repeatable for lots of people because we've all got different experiences of imposter syndrome. It's not a one size fits all. So I developed the natural resilience method. This is about being able to be strong inside so that you don't get knocked as much and there's less to bounce back from. So it's not about the kind of pushing on through. It's the opposite. It's moving away from toxic resilience to being able to get back in flow mm -hmm. so that Fred and their ilk can have their little throwing toys out of prams. And we're just like, that's interesting. I'm going to stay in my lane. Yeah, but doing it in a healthy, genuine way rather than faking, pretending spiritual bypass. So the very first thing that we need to do, if you found that flinch factor coming or anything else, is step one of that process is press pause. You cannot make constructive change in your life while you're stressed. It's, it's physically impossible. The primal part of the brain is running the show. It gets you self-sabotaging before the thinking part of the brain even knows there was a threat there. That's actually really useful. It's how we're still alive. So it's pressing pause. There are all sorts of techniques I teach, but right here, right now, it's whatever works for you to press pause on that stress cycle. That's 60 seconds of just switch off the fight, flight, freeze response. Phase two is about rewiring your brain, turning your inner critic into a genuine cheerleader. No nasty brain surgery involved. You're using neuroplasticity. So you're creating the new thought habits in ways that are aligned with who you are and sustainable. You're also reprogramming the reticular activating system, the filters in the brain that govern the information that comes in from the outside world. So that if a perceived threat comes at you, you deal with it in a more proportionate way rather than it firing off the whole panic response in the primal part of the brain. Mm. Step three is often missed out in life change work and it's actually rewire your body because the body stores this trauma, this micro trauma, and it feels every thought we think. So if you just do the mindset work and you haven't cleared out the muscle memory and the body memory of all of that, then what happens is the body's usually addicted to adrenaline and it will sit there and go, haven't had an adrenaline hit lately. What can we do? I know Fred's in my inbox mm -hmm. and it will actually get the brain thinking the stress thoughts to give it that endorphin rush and that adrenaline hit. So you've got press pause, rewire your brain, rewire the body. When you've done that, you'll be in a really different place, much calmer, much less of this at three o'clock in the morning. And that is the point to start looking at reclaiming your personal power, resetting those toxic boundaries, being able to look at what is it I'm consuming? How is that impacting my life? Making healthier choices. And then step five, I do this back to front compared to most coaches. Step five is about becoming the real you, consciously creating your future. So often a coaching journey starts with, well, what do you want? Yeah. And I remember from my market research days, if you ask somebody what they want, they often don't actually know. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Henry Ford famously said, if I ask the public what they wanted, they say a faster horse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you do this at the end and the natural resilience methods are cycles, so you can go a layer deeper each time to keep it safe and effective. When you ask that question at the end of the cycle, you're already a much more expansive version of you. You're already a much more real version of you. And then expanding your hopes and your dreams actually feels safer and more fun. And you will set out there to become a version of you that frankly would have terrified the you at the beginning, but there it feels really exciting and totally possible. So those are the five steps of the process. But right here, right now, it's reset that stress response. Do whatever works for you. Usually some belly breathing, feet flat on the floor can really, really help. Deep sighing breaths. And don't do anything until you're out of the fight, flight, freeze. I've gone through that. Having taken the time out and withdrawing myself was exactly to do that, to take me out of, you know, that fight, flight part. And it is so true. There's so much letting go. There's so much realigning and redefining things isn't there that that mm. then only then can you actually step up and kind of go okay then <laughs> I'm clean again almost <laughs> and, and, and move forward it's a constant regeneration though isn't it and so the difference for me now is I'm constantly changing and growing but without the imposter syndrome and that takes so much of the drama out of it and it makes the process a lot faster yeah so for example in December, my team and I suddenly sat there and went, do you know what, Claire, you've not done a book for five years. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but there's so much work. And, <laughs> and we had a huge problem actually with people copying my work and passing it off as their own. But also a lot of people really from the heart going out there marketing themselves as imposter syndrome coaches when actually they don't have training or the skills. They're just kind of selling coping strategies. So my team kicked my backside and we're like, okay, we'll publish coaching imposter syndrome next year. Fine. Now, the old me, if I'd had imposter syndrome, that would have been mega drama. But we got all this lined up and I've then got to add in a book. And, oh, I'd have been singing opera in the corner. Yeah, where it's <laughs> like, okay, one needs to drop off the table. Great. Who can put a timeline together? Fine. Who do we need to bring in to help make that happen? Job done. Then three weeks ago, as though that workload went enough, because start over isn't always the, the yucky stuff. Sometimes it's the exciting stuff, yeah? Mm -hmm. So for the last six or seven years, it's been in the list of, create an app yeah three weeks ago the universe went right Claire there's your backside here's our knee off you go the app's happening in March oh gosh <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly everything's falling into place I've cleared out my diary yeah I've brought in the people I need to support me we're looking at what can we launch that's going to be great but it's kind of like the minimum viable proposition so we can add to it over the months beyond that because when an idea's time is right, it's got to happen. And the more we can be used to getting out of our own way and being able to start over, because for me, that's a really big thing is we're actually pivoting the business a bit to be into apps, which we've never done before. Mm. You know, it's a new version of reinventing myself. If I was still sat there with the imposter syndrome going, oh, who am I to have an app? What if people troll me? What if they hate it? What if I look at myself on the videos on the app and da, 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 da? That would really get in the way of the launch and the creation. You can imagine that, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. And instead, the only thing getting in the way of it is my energy levels, yeah, which we've just got to manage because I'm recovering from post-COVID pneumonia. Do not get it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so for the starting over here, because it is a big shift in our direction, 
the drama's not there. Yeah. The fear's not there. There is, of course, the, oh, on earth, can we make that happen? Mm. But it's not scared anymore. No. It doesn't feel like jumping out of an airplane. It's instead of fear, it's excitement. Mm. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. It's how you approach it. And that's why with this podcast, for example, you know, someone said to me, well, once you've started over, that's it, isn't it? It's like, oh, no, 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 no. And this is why I want the guests on as well to talk about those experiences, because we are starting over every single day. And that's sort of like, whether you've fallen off a diet, you know, and you're like, okay, I'm going to start again. As long as you keep starting over and not doing the same thing and becoming more and more aware of what's held you back this time and it might be something completely different to what held you back last time so the starting over is is so important and I love what you're saying about the imposter syndrome I used to be a little bit tutty about the whole do the inner work like I haven't got time to do the inner work I need to be doing this But I am so different with that now. I am so much more, you know, no, slow down to speed up because the more you can address this, the more you can notice the signs and then spend the time to think about it and work on it, the quicker you can go. And I love what you've just said because clearly that is testament to it, isn't it? It's like, let's deal with this stuff. And then starting over isn't a chore. Starting over isn't fearful. It's mm. it's exciting. It's open to possibilities. You've got clarity of mind to spot opportunities and, and see all of those things. So I think in my previous one, I yeah. was very much in a place. I listened to it again, Claire. It's quite funny. I might actually put it up so people can hear the difference. But I was skeptical. I was mm. really quite skeptical about, I think you have it for the rest of your life. You just quite, but I get it now, Claire. <laughs> But I think what you're saying is so spot on is so many people will sit there saying, I don't have time to deal with imposter syndrome. But when you look at the four P's, how much time are they swallowing? Mm. When you look at the fact that we use busyness is as a procrastination technique, as a means to avoid having to do the thing that's scaring us. Imposter syndrome is one of the biggest time thieves in the world. And actually, one of the reasons we're launching the app, it's called the Imposter Syndrome Hacks app is it's about how to change your life and clear that stuff out in five minutes a day. All of us can spare five minutes. Anybody watching or listening to this, if I phoned you up right now, you'd have five minutes to chat. So if we can find five minutes to chat or somebody rings the doorbell, the postman, five minutes to chat, we can find five minutes to practice a habit that changes our lives. And what I've done with the hacks is look at how can people create their own personalized journey through the app? Because it's not one size fits all. So that you can have your quick wins and then you can take the deeper work at a pace that feels right for you. Mm. And it's all designed as well so that you really spot the progress you're making. Because I think that's the key is you need to see the rewards. Just like if you go on a fitness regime, if after six weeks you're still wearing the same jeans, it's like, oh, didn't work. Yeah, we need to be able to see the progress that we're making. But time is Mm. the biggest, I'm going to use the word with massive compassion here, excuse that we use for not taking action on imposter syndrome and the only time I would suggest to somebody do not start work on imposter syndrome is if they're in the middle of trauma Mm. you know if they've just had a bereavement for example or if they're going through something like an abusive relationship or they've got a massively toxic boss at work they're going to need to actually have a different level of support 
but pretty much anything else that's going on in our lives, just five minutes a day can turn that around more quickly than you could ever imagine. Yeah. You have to believe as well, you know, that five minutes a day can make a massive difference to you. Well, you have to believe as well that just five minutes a day consistently Mm -hmm. is going to work for you because that helps you, doesn't it? Like before you see the results coming, yeah. <laughs> and that's lovely when you believe it and then you start to see the results there's no stopping you then and my personal experience is when those two things really come together that's when the habit really embeds and, 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 it's and you move forward from there it's absolutely key when you're looking at what I call the imposter syndrome myths one of the biggest ones is it's incurable and you've got to have it forever and you're just going to have to learn to handle it and succeed despite it yeah you have to believe it's possible for change to work even just this much, just a tiny chink of light belief. It doesn't have to be full on kind of, you know, screaming on stage. I know I can clear this. You know, we're not sitting there in a Tony Robbins retreat. Yeah. Just that little chink of hope mm. is actually, I'm going to let myself hope that this will work. Because as soon as you can shift into hope, mm. then it's almost like the universe conspires those miracles, those breakthroughs, those insights. And you suddenly realize, wow those five minutes a day are just actually extraordinarily powerful because they impact the rest of my day too. And one of the big things that happens at that point is people will often go, I wish I'd done this 20 years ago. Yeah. And it's like, I, when that happens with me for something, I come back to a saying that apparently is ancient Chinese, which is the second best time to plant an oak tree is today. Hmm. Yeah. I'm planting my oak tree today. Yeah. Love it. Love it. We're coming to the end of our time together and thank you so much. But what has been a significant start over point for for you in your life? So the one that kicked my backside the most. Yes, I left the engineering career I loved due to imposter syndrome. And, you know, you can come and find me on social media. I'm happy to talk about that one all over the place. But I wanted to share one a bit more personal on this podcast because I know that a lot of the people who will be following you on this are you know, but they've had some raw moments. And it would be 17 years ago when I had to effectively run away from domestic abuse with a two-year-old and six months pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. And I was running my own business. And funnily enough, my focus time for my business, heavily pregnant, toddler, domestic abuse was not great. I had no idea what I was going to live off. I had to move a hundred miles away for safety reasons. I knew nobody. And my friends and my family didn't even know until a couple of weeks before I ran that there'd even been a problem. I'd hidden it from everybody. And it was that experience, the dark nights of the soul, studying every book I could on manifesting and all that kind of thing, screaming at God at three in the morning. Yeah, throwing those books against the wall. And that is what helped me understand the difference between legitimate fear and mind story fear. Once I was in the space where I was no longer in physical danger, the mind story fear still still kept me terrified. And it was the stories I was telling myself that were stopping me from moving on. But it took me a long time to realize that. That is what then kickstarted me into studying to become a meditation teacher and all sorts of other things, which is how I learned practical ways and created techniques to rewire my brain. It taught me about rewiring the body as well. And this is why I do the work I now do. If I'd stayed, aside from potential repercussions given the situation, but if I'd stayed in that relationship, I'd be a very good leadership development trainer right now. Mm -hmm. And that would 
be it. And I'm not belittling that at all, but I wouldn't have written 10 books. I wouldn't be an international keynote speaker. I wouldn't be doing the work I'm doing. I certainly would not be about to launch an app. I would have gone down a very traditional route. I'd have stayed safe. You know, I almost definitely would have had multiple breakdowns because it was not where I was meant to be. And the universe provides us with those kicks sometimes to get us to shift direction. But it taught me so much that the pain I was experiencing, not all of it, but a large chunk of it, was down to those stories, the what if thing, the catastrophizing, the stories I was telling myself and my body's addiction to that adrenaline and fear. And that is a very, very pivotal moment to have shared when you realized that that was what you had to do. You had to. Yeah, easier said than done, but actually with the tools I've got now, almost easier done than said, but it took me a long time to find them. And that's exactly what I now teach. Claire, thank you so much for coming on and and sharing your wisdom and also a little bit about yourself and your own personal start over. One of them, just one of them. (laughs) Just one of them. (laughs) Where can everybody find you on social media? So I'm on LinkedIn and Instagram. I'm Claire Yosa. There's only one of me. You'll see from the show notes how to spell my name Mm -hmm. uh, because both of them are not what you'd expect. And also I've got my own website, clairyosa.com. And if you'd like a personalized action plan to know how to assess your own imposter syndrome risk, get your own score and some things, some practical things you could start doing today, you can get that at clairyosa.com forward slash start over. And that's waiting for you as my gift to thank you for hanging out with the two of us today. Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. Thank you so much, Claire. It was really great to see you. Thank you so much. It's been a joy. So there we go. There was a lot of content in there, a lot for you to take away. So I have to ask you the question, what did you take away from this particular episode? Was there something that hit you particularly hard? Was there something that resonated or you know, that you realized, oh my goodness, this is me. This is something that is holding me back. I do think that sometimes, you know, what we think imposter syndrome is, and then when we really dive into it and what we discover it truly is for us, it can be game-changing, life-changing, in fact. So, I am very, very welcoming of imposter syndrome now. I had it before I started this podcast, you know, before I press record for the first time. Who am I? Who am I to be putting out a podcast about startovers? You know, it was a very real thing, but you can get over this. You can manage it. And when we understand what the ripple effects of letting imposter syndrome get the better of us. It's very powerful and very motivating to do something about it so that you can do your start over, whatever that may be at the time and, you know, really get the results that you want. And so that is why I welcome imposter syndrome because it doesn't really ever properly crop up until you are stretching your comfort zone. And so if it appears if you become conscious of it, if you start looking for it, it means you are making progress. And you've just, I don't know, for me, it's like if you're going up to the edge of a big cliff and that you need to jump over it in order to get to the next level, don't worry, there's a nice soft landing. It's perfectly safe. 
But it's that feeling of you're going to have to take that leap. And if imposter syndrome turns up for me, I know I'm at that point where I'm just about to make a breakthrough. I'm just about to do something that I haven't done before or that I haven't been brave enough to give a go. And that is why I welcome it as my friend. So have a great week. I'd love to hear from you. If you would like to write a five-star review and actually take the time to write a review, I would be so grateful. I'd like to do a shout out for Jenny Proctor. Jenny, thank you so much from Bonfield Marketing. She has written a lovely, lovely review. And one of the things for me was that she said she loves how I share some of my experiences in the podcast as well. And that's an element that I've had imposter syndrome over. So Jenny, thank you so much for writing that review and for telling me that because that is just another little, you know, piece of motivation to keep moving forward. As I've said from the start with this podcast, I am on this journey too. So please do write a review if you feel inclined to do so. It really does help with building the audience and the algorithm starts putting it in front of more people as suggestions and so on. And I am so grateful to the guests that have taken the leap of faith with me so far that I've got Claire today and also some of the ones that are coming up because at the moment my audience is fairly small and yet they still feel passionate enough to come on to the show. But clearly, as the audience gets bigger, I'll be able to attract more of those guests that have certain boundaries, as in they want your audience to be a certain size and so on before they will actually come on. So I think that's fair enough. You know, they've only got so much time in the day to do these things. But I would love, there are so many, many guests that I would really, really love to get on the podcast that I think would really add value and, you know, are so aligned with what this podcast is all about. But reality is I need to get the audience, you know, bigger. So Anything you share, every time you like a post that you see where I'm promoting the podcast, then one little click, one like and so on could lead to other people discovering the podcast for the first time. So I do appreciate those of you who will are prepared to make that effort. Yeah, I do appreciate that. So all that is left for me to say is have a great week. I'll see you on the next episode. And don't forget, it's never too late to make a change. It's never too early to start over. Take care. Bye.